What's up? I'm Marquise Francis. And I'm Naima Abdullahi. Embolden's mission and vision is to bring the Emma Bowen Foundation community together. So that means you. By giving listeners exclusive access to trailblazers and influential decision makers in the media industry. This is the second episode of the first season and our esteemed guest for today is, drum roll please, Sandra Rice. She has served as the Senior Vice President of National Recruitment for the Emma Bowen Foundation for 22 years. And this past October of 2019, Sandra Rice started a new journey with the Center for Talent Innovation as the SVP of Outreach and Strategic Partnerships, and she'll always be part of the Emma Bowen family. That's right. And today she'll share her why and why she got involved with the foundation, why she has dedicated her life to building up the next generation of talented minorities interested in the media industry. Now, Sandra, the first question for you is, when was the first time you heard the name Emma Bowen and the legend of who the foundation is named after? Well, the very first time I heard Emma Bowen was probably in 1995. I was invited to attend a board meeting for the Media Careers for Minorities program, which was held at ABC in their boardroom. Dennis Swanson was the chairman. He was still at ABC. And it was a board meeting they invited me to to talk about some of the initiatives that I was doing at ABC as a volunteer for many different programs for ABC. Battered Women's Retreat, building a library, in addition to doing my full-time job um, working in um, international television for ABC, I also did a lot of volunteer stuff. And so I got invited to that one meeting and I was able to meet her in person. And she was a force. She was everything you already know. She was about this high and this wide with a big voice, hat and glove. And when she spoke at that table, I clearly understood that she was running things. So it was wonderful. That's the first time I heard about the organization where Emma was the president CEO. And, and in your conversations with her in the time that you knew her, what advice did she give you that has stuck with you over the years? What do you remember her telling you that helped fuel your audacity, your um, love for leadership, love for diversity? Well, everything I've gotten from Emma Bowen is really, truly, to be honest with you, it's in my head because that meeting was not like that when I first met her. She wasn't able to give me any pearls of wisdom. But what I got when I joined Emma Bowen was her friends and people like Pat Jordan and Phyllis Eagle Olsen, who knew her, who shared with me who she was. And by the time I came on to Emma Bowen Foundation, she had passed away a year later, two years later. But I had heard about her also because Rokia Smith, who is an alumni of the program, was working as an intern in daytime soap opera land. And at that time, I was entering that world. I entered the daytime soap opera land. And that's where I found Rokia. And Rokia talked about Emma Bowen, and she talked about the program and what it was doing for her. I was not affiliated with the program yet. I still was working for daytime soap opera. 
So that's the first time I'd heard about Emma Bowen and the only time I ever met Emma Bowen. And then when I, I guess probably when she passed away, it was a big deal on TV in, in New York City. I believe ABC television covered her funeral. That's how big it was. She was a big, big civil rights activist. And I think there's, yeah, there is tape on it, on her funeral. And when you reflect on that moment that you saw her in person in your years with the foundation, I mean, when you reflect on her legacy, what thoughts go through your head, especially knowing that so many people have had better lives because she was here on earth? Yeah, that's a good question. And I always think to myself when people tell me, oh, that can't happen. Oh, that won't happen. One woman put herself out there and she spawned and gave birth to thousands of careers. She did that because she put herself out there. And I always tell people, don't block yourself. If you want to do something, if you want to make change and you want to make it happen, I saw it happen with Emma Bowen. She was a voice that continued to knock on doors and call people up about this program or the inequities of looking at specifically black men on television. That's where this all began for her. It was really about African-American males and the presence they had, lack thereof, on TV. She didn't like it. So the, the, the idea was to form a program that was about how to grow people into careers in television so they can make decisions, so they can grow in their careers and make decisions about what goes on TV. That's what she thought. And so she thought this internship that was a paid internship was going to be a step to do that. And what happened was the board and Phyllis Eagle Olsen took it in a whole nother direction, that it wasn't just you can get a career and you can get a job and you can have an internship, but it was really about giving you a foundation to stand on so that when you do have the job, you have a community of people. And that's what it's grown into is a community, a family of people you can rely on, you can turn to, to help you for whatever, whatever you're going through at work. You can always call an Emma Bowen and they will help you. So that's what I believe is her legacy was not just helping people get into the industry and find jobs, but also having a community and a foundation that they could lean into when they needed to. And the Emma Bowen alums are, have, I'm sure she's somewhere looking down and saying, my God, they started an alumni foundation. They, they, they get it. They understand totally, especially the ones who have been out for a long time. They understand the power of the Emma Bowen foundation. And there's lots of power in there. Um, there's things that can, you know, make other organizations just real jealous because Emma Bowen is, is more than an internship. It's more than a career path. It's the whole caboodle. It's everything for our, for our alumni who come through the program. Absolutely. And I mean, I, we're doing this podcast right now. I think that's a testament to what the foundation, the community, the family is all about. And obviously being that Emma Bowen Foundation just overall has helped so many people. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's no, no pressure and nothing off our backs to be able to give back to the foundation. But, you know, mm-hmm. Sandra, hearing your words and, and last week talking to Phyllis, uh, learning more about Emma Bowen is always amazing. But for folks like myself, and I'm sure Naima, who didn't have the pleasure of meeting Emma Bowen, I mean, really, you represented everything Emma Bowen was to us. I can remember coming to you, I believe the first time, it was after my senior year of high school, 
uh, interviewing with you. And I had to go to the summer Syracuse program, so I couldn't quite make the cut. And I was able to interview once again the following summer. And that was when I was first admitted to the program. And I could just remember the conversations we had, how you complimented my suit. And that was really my first introduction of what media was, because that was before I even started at Syracuse. So how do you wrap your head around knowing, you know, you talked about the influence of Emma Bowen, but now we're moving to you. I mean, you jump started, you know, I can't I can't even imagine countless careers. So knowing the influence that you even had and and carrying that torch from Emma Bowen, what does that mean to you? It it uh <laughs> Don't bring me to tears, Marquis. <laughs> I, re- I remember you and Naima and Willie, okay? I I don't know many people who get to do what I was doing with Emma Bowen Foundation. I don't know anyone who gets a job like that. The job that I had at Emma Bowen for 22 years was a gift. It was a gift. And when I took the job... I think Naima knows this. I took the job and I took it for one year. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty fluid and pretty transparent. I was going through a divorce. I was offered an opportunity to be the regional director for the West Coast office for the media careers for minorities. That's what it was called. I jumped because I'm from California and I said, I'm going to go. And I told myself, I'm going to do this for a year because I'm going to find a job in LA in the media somewhere. And the job did come to me. The opportunities did come to me, several of them. But something in the back of my mind was like, Sandra, this is a great program and it's going to grow and it's going to do such great things. When you were an intern at a TV station in Sacramento, California, you did not have an Emma Bowen Foundation. Lester Holt and I did not have an Emma Bowen Foundation. We had supervisors. We were in the newsroom. We did things in community service and community relations. We did things. We didn't really have a guide. I didn't feel like anybody had my back. But you know that Emma Bowen has the back of every single intern, alumni who come through the program. It's your success that we lean into. And that's what makes us look so good. So you asked me what what was my, I guess my contribution was really to make sure that our alums and our current fellows had a go-to anytime they needed it because I understood that because I didn't have that. And I wanted to make sure that they were loaded up with mentors and sponsors and allyship and whatever else I could help them with because I know it's going to be a tough terrain for them. People of color in the media industry, as you already know, they, they get frozen in the middle. They're frozen in the middle. Now that I'm in this new job, I get to talk about it all the time. And so when I was at Emma Bowen, it was my it was my job to make sure you didn't get stuck in the middle, that you weren't frozen, that there was a ladder and that you saw the ceiling that's glass and not cement and that you were able to partner up with other alums and feel like you were included and that you belonged. Because the reality is a lot of people of color don't feel like they belong. They just take the job and keep it moving. White people get to feel like they belong. They belong there. It's there. And I wanted our Emma Bowens and any other interns to feel like they belonged at that company and how that, how they could bring their best selves to show up so they could climb the ladder and, and succeed. That was my goal. 
now that I look back on it, that definitely was my goal. My follow-up question to that is, you know, since you joined the foundation for the 22 years that you were part of the foundation, you have met hundreds of scholars, of alums, of people that you helped launch their careers. How do you get to remember every encounter? I mean, in our conversation right now, you said you remember me. You remember meeting me for the first time. You remember meeting Willie for the I first did. time. You remember meeting Marquise. Yeah. And I promise you there are hundreds of other names that you also remember. But how do you remember every encounter? I, I, I wish I could tell you. <laughs> I don't know. You guys all stood out for me. Mm. I could run down the story about your life, Naima. Mm -hmm. I know all about you. I know all about Marquis. I know about Willie's children. I know about Lisbeth's children, Rokia's children. I know when people are pregnant. I don't know, (laughs) but I know the story. I know the hardships in college. I know that two o'clock in the morning, I get a phone call from someone at Carnegie Mellon University and was crying because of struggling with a teacher who she thought was racist and she needed somebody to talk to. I remember that conversation. I remember where she is today. I know where she is today. She's at the top of her game. She's a top architect in New York City. I can call, when people say something to me about any subject or any student, somehow that story surfaces. I can tell you, I just know. It's very few of them that I don't remember. I remember all of them. And I remember... And I remember the first day I met you, I was still in high school. I took the MARTA, which is our train system in Atlanta. I took the MARTA, had a few coins to take the MARTA to come meet you. And it was at the, I believe it was at the CNN building. And and you yes. said, Where, where's your resume? <laughs> I didn't print it out. I did. I did. <laughs> yeah, no, but you made me a better person because you made me a better professional. And I didn't have those skill sets to know you had to print out a resume, a cover letter, this, that. So yeah. Yes, you were stern and firm, but I needed that at that time in my life. I'm glad to hear you say that because it came from love. Mm-hmm. I was stern. A lot of times I turned people away and I made them come back because they had to bring their best selves. I know what they were facing when they went to a media company. I know what they're going to face. So you can't be half seven. You got to be on top of your game. As you already know, your parents have told you, your relatives have told you. You got to be twice as good. And there's no room for error. And so, so many people came to me, Marquise, you were dressed for <laughs> way appropriately. You looked you're ready for Wall Street. I remember that. <laughs> gray. I think it was gray. I had my one, two. I don't remember. I, <laughs> I don't know. But it, was on, it was on point. And I, and I will say that, you know, I have turned away people who have come to interview with me, and they've gone on to do great things in their career. But they were dressed all in black. They, they, I was always like, well, where's your uh, limo hat? Where's your, you're the limo driver? Black tie, black shirt, black suit, black shoes, and just the wrong, 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 wrong. And I'd send them back. And then I'd send back the ones who didn't know who Emma Bowen was. That was the new thing that Phyllis and I started, was that you you were interviewed, but I'd ask you about Emma Bowen, and you would talk about the program and not Emma Bowen when the bio was on our resume, on, on our website. So we just want to make sure our students are, and our, our alumni are prepared. And so a lot of times it was harsh. I remember. I was harsh. And, and I get, thank you, just what you just did, Naima. I get them all the time, out of the blue. That's right. You know, and now you guys are in positions where you can hire people and you're looking at interns too, and you're making them stand up and show up mm-hmm. and show out. And that's, that's about, that's about right. That's about right. 
Yeah. Right. Um, that was that was like part of my next question. I mean, I feel personally, I feel as though you had a way of being, you know, approachable, understanding, but also very direct. And, you know, like you mentioned, I mean, for young black people, sometimes you feel as though you kind of need to either just do what you're told or, you know, you're kind of timid about it. But one thing I feel like in the past few years that I've come to realize, and I understand some of this is a privilege as being a man, you know, but in, in, in just really speaking up for yourself and calling things out, actually disagreeing in a way in mm-hmm. which, you know, you're able to say, I don't necessarily agree with that. And this is why, you know, and how that'll mm-hmm. actually get you further than actually just agreeing or just being silent. But I'm just curious, mm-hmm. for, you know, you mm-hmm. kind of mentioned it, but why do you feel like you had to to have that type of just characteristic in this space of being very mm-hmm. direct and being so strong with, mm-hmm. with so many students? Well, well, I think, too, because I did, like I said, I did a lot of volunteer work at ABC back in the day, and I used to do a lot of things that, with young people. And then throughout, the, throughout my life, other organizations that I've been a part of, I have worked with young people. And I just know that when they go, when they, when they go to college, no one's, certainly if it's not historically black college, but if they go to a predominantly white school, no one's really got their eyes on them. And no one's really telling them what, the, what time it is. It's not that way. When I, when I started working for Emma Bowen and became more familiar with the HBCUs and their career centers, that turned it around for me because I saw what they were doing. If students are smart, they would have used their career center on that HBCU campus because they were really, it was their job to make sure that the school looks good and that the, the alumni are being hired, the students are being hired for full-time jobs. So they were invested in it. And in a white school, I'll just call it what it is, most times it's not like that. It's supposed to check the box. It's not uh, a personal touch to it. So I saw there was a need for it, especially with young college students. And coming right out of high school, most of them didn't know anything about work, about the work world. So if you didn't know, if you didn't have a resume, Naima, it wasn't your fault. You didn't know, you know? Mm-hmm. So our job at MOBO was to make sure you understood you were considered an employee for us, as we said behind the scenes. You weren't intern. We wanted to turn you into employee as an intern. And so in our minds, we thought like that. What can we do to make sure that Charles is making sure he, you know, he, he has what he needs to be successful in that job where his manager is not feeling him? Because we would know where you guys got placed. I talked to them all the time, the HR teams, and where if a student came to me and there were issues, in the whole time I was at, at, at uh, Emma Bowen, I moved three students to different states because the place where they were placed, I knew it was racist out there in America. I knew it was racist, so did Phyllis. I called around to other places to get them moved, housing, all of that, because there was promise. And I was right every single time because all three of them are in the limelight right now. They're all doing well. But they would have not been doing well if it wasn't for us moving them to other locations. So it's hard for an intern. Because an intern has no muscle and no power. Uh, Marquise, you just talked about speaking up and finding your voice. Yes, but it's hard as an intern because there's no muscle there. It's hard as an executive to speak up in a room where people don't look like you and you feel like you're the minority in the room. I just came off of the webinar today, I mean, a training session today, and I I posed the question to 16 white people, and I said, close your eyes. Close your eyes and put yourself in a company 
predominantly, mostly all black people, not brown people, all black people, only a few white people. Let's say there's 12 out of the 200. And let's say the leadership of the company is all black. How quickly would you be able to find your voice? And they all said they wouldn't. It would be, you, you find yourself being silent. So it's hard to find your voice as an intern in that environment unless you have a real supporter, a real mentor, an alley person. They, they're going to help you in your career. And, and that's what's good about Emma Bowling because we're going to make sure you have that person. We want to make sure you fly. We don't want you to be in a situation where you're bathed on the wall. That's why Emma Bowens looks so good to everybody because they, they come off the wall. They're in full color. They do the thing. And we make them do it. That's why we're so hard on them. We want to make sure that they, they're able to fly, you mm-hmm. know, on their own when they graduate. They can find jobs. You know, people say, oh, you help so-and-so. No, no. We just give you all tools. And you guys go out and find your career. We write them a recommendation. We'll do those things once you graduate. But the finding of the jobs for the majority of the jobs for alumni, they find them on their own. They're prepared. Mm-hmm. And I want to and I want to pivot the conversation in a different direction in light of everything going on right now in the midst of protests, pandemic, systemic racism, so many things in the headlines. Diversity is a big topic for a lot of corporate companies right now. What do you think needs to happen so that the commitment to diversity ends up being year round and not just when things are happening in the headlines or when protests are happening that are, you know, having outcries for justice nationwide and international? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, diversity is a big word right now. I mean, diversity, as you all, you probably already heard, diversity is being invited to the party. You've heard that before. Inclusion is being asked to dance, to do the dance. And now there's a new word out there. You don't, you're not familiar with it because I just learned it when I joined this organization called belonging. There's belonging departments. There's people with chief diversity officer, um, inclusion and belonging. Belonging is a big word and that's a feeling belonging. So diversity for, I guess, because it's always meant in the world of DNI, it's meant white women. That's what it's meant. And that's what my, company has done an enormous amount of research. If you ever go on our website, the Center for Talent Innovation, this stuff is on there. Diversity was really meant for everybody or people of color and women, but women have taken the most out of diversity. Because diversity is easy for a white man to put a white woman in place. because she looks like him, the same kind of background, and they're the ones who've really had the most promise. Black people have not. So now with this moment in our history, this this huge moment of change that's coming, it may not come all the way the way I want it, but it's moving in the right direction. Companies have to show up and it's not about a CEO letter. It's not about safe space conversations that I've been doing all week. It's not that. It's companies have to show the numbers of people to come out of that frozen middle. They have to show that there is a pathway for people of color brown, Asian, black, to be able to get to senior management and be able to be in a seat to make decisions. They cannot keep promising programs and this program and put you over there and all that. That can't happen anymore. Companies have to be able to show the numbers. Their numbers are weak when it comes to senior management across the board, whether it's media, insurance, 
It could be banks, whatever type of in, whatever type of industry, pharmaceutical. People of color typically are stuck in the middle. You'll see up there maybe there's one or two. They might be in marketing. They might be in diversity, but they don't get into the C-suite. And so, if companies really, really want to make change, then they have to look to the numbers of, and their their recruitment and how they're hiring and how they're promoting. That's when they're serious. And even when they tie it to um, the compensation for their executives at the end of the year, they need to go back to that and make that happen. You won't get a commission. You won't get a big bonus if you haven't hired people of color, not just one, and not just look at an interview, hire, hire people of color. You can do that. The same way there was an Emma Bowen program to make sure that there were interns of color at their companies, they can do the same thing here. So, and you ask me, what does all this mean? This means change is coming. Change is coming. People are in the right places, and they're trying to make it happen. But everything I just told you, companies are working on it. I believe the change is coming. We continuously tell them there is a frozen middle. What do you do about those people? The research shows that most black men are going to leave your company. They're going to leave your company, either go into entrepreneurship or they're going to go into another company because black men really want to move ahead. Not that women don't, but a lot of times women get caught up in other pathways. It could be family and children. They might be single parents or whatever, and they, they, they hold to the job. They want to grow too, but black men may leave your company. So they're going to start to have to look at this stuff. It's real. Remember I told you diversity is definitely being invited to the party. And inclusion is being asked to do the dance. Many people don't get to do the dance. They get to go to the party because the company wants the numbers. But we want them to be able to be included in everything that's up in the C-suite and above. Yeah, and soon and we really want to just take over the party. But that that's going to take a little bit more time. But one, one thing I'll say, I mean, it sounds like Emma Bowen just needs to be a filter for, for the rest of the world. I mean, if all these companies were able to just hire an Emma Bowen students and folks from the Emma Bowen Alumni Foundation, I think we'd be all right. But, you know, that that's that's a work in progress. But uh, you, you mentioned change. And in the 30 years that Emma Bowen has, the foundation has been around, it primarily has focused in the field of, of media and communications. But I know within the past few years, it's expanded into business, into tech, into a number of other fields. Why do you think it was important for the foundation to make that pivot and to expand? Mm-hmm. Well, especially in the world of tech, they had we had to change up. It was like it was it was clear to us from our company who were also moving that direction. We didn't really pivot like that. They pivoted. And they were like, Sandra, it's good that you have a communication student or it's good that you have a marketing student, but we really, really, really want tech. Do you have engineers? Do you have data analysts? What do you have? And so we had to do a wider search. So we opened it up wide. That was about let's see, this is 20. So this was about maybe six years ago. We just opened the door wide. Mm-hmm. And then we did the same thing for business majors, finance majors. Um, we just opened it up. And, and here they came. You know, and which is great because, you know, media is business. Mm. Media is marketing. Media is tech. It's data. So I am so proud that we were able to do that um, and find candidates all over the country. I mean, we're looking for people in places that you've never heard of. (laughs) That's how 
is how it changed. Because it used to be, you know, the big cities and, you know, maybe there was some smaller ones. But in the last, I don't know, five years, it's been like uh, places in Nebraska and places in Arkansas and Iowa. And I think I've looked in every state except for Montana, South Dakota, and North Dakota. I think we've looked in every state. We always have a chart across the country. And there's always new places. Every every recruitment season, there's new places. Um, were we successful in finding the candidates? Not the first time. But once we started to flood our information, it was easier the next year when we went back in. The good thing about our companies, the Emma Bowen companies, is they would say, okay, you can't find anything this year. We're going to hold to next summer. And then we would get busy and try all year long to find that candidate in Nebraska which we have an alum there who's on TV doing really well there at a TV station. She's been there for like three years now. And one question I was going to ask is we know how the foundation has helped transform your life, but what sacrifices have you made over the years in regards to other positions that popped up, other executive positions in the media industry that might've popped up, but you weren't ready to walk away. And when did you know you were, Mm -hmm ready to walk away. I know October was a big time in your life Mm -hmm. last October. Without naming names or names of companies, I've I've had some interesting looks in the last few years. One, I will name it. One was the Academy Awards. And they came to me out of the blue about three, four years ago and asked me to start an Emma Bowen program for the film industry. But it required me to move to California. And my husband wasn't ready to move to California. But we entertained it for almost six months. So I, they flew me out like several times. And it got all the way down to the final. And it did, I didn't take that job. Um, and they went on to form a program that's very successful. I think it's called um, Academy Gold. And I still stay in touch with them, those people. But I had a lot of opportunities to leave. But what can I say? It was just like family to me. At this point, Emma Bowen was my family, you know? And you asked me about the sacrifices I made. Yes, everyone makes sacrifices in their jobs. But the sacrifice I made was minimal to all the things that I got to see, what you guys have done. It was worth it. Every late night, every train that I missed going home, Sometimes I miss a train. I wouldn't get home until 10, 10, 30 at night. Phyllis, too. She worked until midnight, most nights. We were only five people then. So it was like, how did we do that? All that we did, conference, the recruitment and everything, we had five people. We had more interns then than we do now, mm-hmm. than Emma Bowen does now. And I don't know how we did it. But it was a sacrifice. It was long nights. Part of Emma Bowen, part of the job at Emma Bowen is not just the intern, it's nurturing the HR team. It's making sure that we have a relationship with them. And anyone who works for Emma Bowen knows how important it is to have a relationship with a media company. Because they're the ones in there telling their bosses, we have to have an Emma Bowen intern because we have built a relationship. You must have a relationship in order to get what we had to get done. And so that will require sometimes dinners. It long phone meetings, conference calls at night, you know, and then on the weekend as well. You know, I'm able to meet a lot of HR people who like to do things on the weekend. And um, 
I would hang out with them too. So the reality is, if it was a sacrifice for my family, my children, but luckily, you know, when they were young, still is part of my deal in moving back. Cause you know, I was in LA for, for about five years. I was out there doing Emma Bowen. Mm-hmm. And then Phyllis, Phyllis moved me to New York. And part of my deal coming back to New York was that I wouldn't miss a basketball game. Hmm. I wouldn't miss a track meet. I would be able to do all the things I needed to do for my children. So she allowed that. So sometimes I'd be able to work from home. and Or I'd be able to leave work at 4 o'clock to catch a game, a 7 o'clock game. It's important to be, to be upfront and personal with your children. And so... There were sacrifices, but I also got to do that. So I'm, I'm very grateful and thankful for that. Can you tell us about your role with the Center of Talent Innovation as SVP? Uh, tell us about that transition, how it's going for you, and how you're still staying connected to the foundation. Well, as we just got through talking, as we're talking right now, there have been two Emma Bowen alums call me. I can see their numbers come up. <laughs> so I'm always attached to my Emma. Emma. One of us, Najee. Remember, you know Najee. Najee mm-hmm. Ritter. Anyway. The, the reality is I'm always connected to the alums all the time. I will never, ever, ever stop being a part of their lives. Whenever they need me, they need to be connected to somebody. They hear about a job. I'm here for them. I'm still connected to Emma Bowen through the new CEO there, who I adore, and all the players there who I miss. I made the decision to leave Emma Bowen to go to the Center for Talent Innovation, CTI, because it was time because I looked at the alumni list and I was, there's thousands of you guys on there. I'm like, oh my God, they are in positions of power. Many of them are making decisions, green light and stuff. They're on TV. They're behind the scenes. They're creating content. What more can I do? It's time for me to leave. And so that came to me. The job came to me first. I didn't turn this job down. I went ahead and pursued it was the, the, like I said, the former president of ABC Television Network. She offered me the job of being, call myself their engagement officer. Remember I told you about building relationships. Mm. Every company needs to have someone, point person, to nurture relationships. So that is my job. When she told me at a lunch, she said, this is what I need you to do. So my title is SVP Outreach Strategic Partnerships. But really and truthfully, I consider myself the puppeteer. Everything starts with me. We bring on a new company. I know who to send it to. I know who to talk to this one here, the billing. Who's going to do the expert on their research? Who's going to do this? I'm the puppeteer and the engagement officer. And I've been doing that since I started. I actually started in, in uh, end of November. And it's been great. It's allowed me, my God, I've stretched in so many ways that I never would have ever, ever, ever done before. And when I say that, I mean, um, it's not media companies. There's only six media companies out of the 75. And they're all new players to me. They're all uh, in positions of power at their companies. These are Fortune 500 companies around the globe. I start my day in the UK at 7.30 in the morning. I end my day sometimes in India in Mexico or LA. I'm talking to people there who are trying to make a difference in their companies. These are woke individuals. They are woke. And they, they're teaching me, actually. Hmm. They're teaching me new terminology, how to phrase stuff. My mind, where I should be retired, I know I should retire, <laughs> but my goodness, 
my learning stuff. I'm getting more technical. I, I just, it just wouldn't have happened because I was always leaning into uh, people who knew how to do those things and just saying, you do that, you do that. And now I'm in a new world. And certainly now with COVID-19 and being quarantined at home, you know, right now I have five screens up. Sandra has, I look like the astronaut in here or something. I have, uh, you know, three, uh, two laptops going and phones and it just, it's a different world for me. I know it's a whole nother world. Thank God. Thank God. I, I, I was able to, to pivot as I'm hoping you guys understand. And, and I know Naima does. You will pivot again. You're going to pivot several times in your career. And I'm hoping each time you pivot, you pick up something new to grow and make a difference. Because actually, you know what, you guys, that's what it's all about at the end of the day. I mean, I remember being your age. I remember all that. But now that I'm this age, I understand clearly that we're not brought here for ourselves. We're brought here to help other people. And once you start really getting into that, I think you get blessed by the universe. I think the universe just showers down good stuff to you. You know, at least that's, that's what I'm feeling right now. Good stuff comes because you lent a hand to somebody who was in need. Now, I'm not talking about giving a check. I'm talking about giving yourself. It's just a wonderful thing. So I got off target there a little bit. I, no, listen, I, you need to, Sandra, you need to write a book. <laughs> I'm over here taking notes like, where? when is this book going to come out? <laughs> You sound like my daughter. Another job right there. Yeah. You know, she tells me all the time, I'm going to have to sit that down and and do something with that because there there are things I want to say. So doing this podcast with you, I can't thank you enough for inviting me to do it because it's given me a chance to speak and to say and be honest and authentic Mm -hmm. and just hopefully inspire somebody to know that it's really, truly, 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 y'all. You'll see when you get my age, it is not about you. You can map it out in any kind of way you want to do it. That's wonderful, because I did that, too. But at the end of the day, if you're not helping someone else authentically, not because you think you're going to get something back, you give your heart, you do your best work, you show up for somebody else, they're going to show up for you every single time. And that's what's happened to me in my whole life. Okay, Pastor Rice. I really, <laughs> really appreciate that. You know, and I think, you know, as much when I when I think about literally just from you know once again from the first time sitting down with you all the Emma Bowen conferences and the plenty of jobs I've had to date you've helped so many people so you know and the most we feel like we can do is say thank you but then to hear your continued journey your pivot it's almost like we're just thankful that you're once again able to do something that you want to do and by default we know you're helping so many more people so that's just amazing to hear. And then one one uh, one other question I had, and and this I want to ask you about a moment. And one I'll, I'll say a quick anecdote. I want to say a few years ago there was a conference. I forgot what exact year it was. And this is at this point, summer conference had moved from it was from the hotels to NYU. And I believe I was like on a panel that day, and I was just coming in to speak. And I think it was either you or someone had called like a bunch of names up to the front. And I guess they had like gotten like a little party or something the night before and they got in trouble and you called them out. And I was like, I just had, I just had a smile on my face. I'm like, Emma Bowen hasn't changed one bit. And uh, I'm sure that was a moment where those students were frightened to death. They thought they were going to get kicked out the program. I think they were threatened. But I guarantee you that those young men and women will remember that moment and they won't make that mistake again. So I think that was like literally the epitome of 
you know, having that opportunity. And I think a lot of black people specifically don't often have that grace, you know, and I think that's what you allowed, whether it was fixing, you know, the way they were looked, they were looking, you know, their dress or whether they didn't have their resume. You allow folks to have that grace. Say, hey, you all messed up and you're not going to do it again. I know you're not going to mm-hmm. do it again, you know, but you're going to be better from this, you know. So I definitely remember that moment. But I want I wonder, is, is there another moment during your time with Emma Bone that you feel like, wow, this is why I did this? Like one moment over. I know it's been a lot. Yeah. It's been a lot. But that one moment. Um, there has been a lot and there are many moments. There's so many of them. I, I need to write that book to put them all down because I still remember them. But the one that stands out the most for me, the most was the 25th anniversary. Mm. And I will remember planning that conference, which was the 25th anniversary gala. Mm. And we talked about getting hosts and we had our eyes on high end people, you know, people you know in the media already Whoopi Goldbergs and people like that the host then we thought about it and we said we have the host they're Emma Bowen alum Mm -hmm. and so we had three not one not two but three MCs of the gala which stood us apart from most organizations because most organizations would have did just that they would have went out and tried to get the Gail Kings or the Oprah Winfrey or you know whoever we didn't. We were able to have in the queue, ready on spot, three amazing MCs, Michael Jimenez, Gio Benitez, and Nefertiti Watkins. Unbelievable. So that was a big moment for me and for me. Because we, you know, high-fived each other. We were like, we're doing the damn thing. So that was a lot for me. That's a moment that I'll never forget. And they did a great job. Absolutely. Thank you for that. We really appreciate your time. Sandra, I've every time I see you, I tell you, I love you like family. And I don't know if a lot of the alums know my background story, but me coming from the background I came from, I had no idea that my dreams would be possible until the day that I met you. Can you talk about that for a minute just so they can hear it? Oh, I would love to. You know, when I said earlier, and I kind of said it in a joking way, like, The reason why I took the train to come see you was we were living in public housing and my mom's car Mm -hmm. wasn't working that day. And it's like when you grow up, you know, and your parent works a nine to five job, minimum wage, multiple jobs. There were years where I just saw her rarely, but I knew that was a form of love. So when I heard about the Mm -hmm. foundation and just applied for it, I didn't know if I met the standards I saw in the application, but just knowing, you know, I'm a child of a war country, Somalia. We lived in multiple refugee camps, you know, before the age of five. We come to a new country, get on a plane, don't know don't know what's on the other side of that destination. We just believed in the concept of the American dream. And having a mother speaking broken English, teaching her the citizenship test for many years when I was in elementary school. I think so much of my own story and my journey is the access that Emma Bowen fought for and the access you fought for is to give people the realization that their potential is possible. 
And that's what you have done for me. And that's what the foundation has done for me, where, you know, to this day, when you see me, you may not know what I've been through, but that's what the foundation has taught me is that, you know, your wounds are your badges of honor and it made you who you are. Um, and it, it's given you authenticity. So, you know, to turn something that I could have easily looked at as self-victimization into saying, no, this is my story. I am owning it. And this is who I am. And I've arrived. That audacity is something that you have helped ingrain in my own DNA. And I really am so grateful for you. Hmm. Well, you are so welcome. I just love your story. We all love your story. Yeah. We love what you've done with your life, too, as you pivot to this new direction. And I can't wait to see what's next. Mm-hmm. for you Aww. and you too Marquise yes, you too Marquise you don't think I'm watching you I'm watching <laughs> you <laughs> thank you I watch you so. well, yeah we, we I'm really, just so proud of all of you guys absolutely yeah. and, and we're proud of you right back so so just once again thank you on behalf of myself Naima Willie and the rest of the, the Emma Bowen uh, alumni thank you so much uh, for everything thank you for joining us uh, on our second episode we're looking forward to many more, but this was such a pleasure to talk to you and just learn and, and listen. Right. And the reason why we intentionally wanted to talk to you and Phyllis first is no matter how far we take this podcast, the many years you've dedicated to this foundation, that story needs to be told first. That's part of the foundation. The foundation's foundation is you. So we really appreciate how much you've done for the foundation. Sandra, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I mean, it was so amazing just to not only learn, but just to listen to you, the stories and what you've learned from us, what we've learned from you, I mean, what you're doing now. We can't wait to continue to watch what you do in the future. Thank you. Thank you both. It's been great.